Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome to the Foolishness Podcast. We are jumping into episode 72. And it's been amazing to get into all of these episodes and the different stories. The Bible says we are living epistles read by all men. And I've had many different people on, but I really feel like today's story is going to be significant, even more personal to me, because as you know, uh, being divorced, suicidal, and coming to faith, not finding Jesus till I was 24, I mean, that's the most important things in our lives. And so today, my guest is going to only help that story and how when someone begins to hear about Jesus, it's very important that it's the Jesus of the Bible. It's the Jesus who is true. It's the Jesus who saves. And before I get into who it is, I just want to say that, listen to this list. I mean, our guest speaker is a speaker, an apologist, a podcast host, an author, a singer, I'm going to say, right? Mm-hmm. And most importantly, a Christian, a wife, and a mother. So guys, would you welcome on today, Alisa Childers. Alisa, how are you doing? Hey, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. And it's a very hot and sweaty. There's a, there's a heat wave here in Cali, but, but you are coming to us from where? What state are you in? So I'm in Tennessee, uh, okay. south of the Nashville area by about 40 minutes or so. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's been warm here too, and it gets really yeah. lucky here. I grew up in Southern California, so yeah. I had to adjust to all the humidity that we get here <laughs> in Tennessee. Yeah, it's hot and muggy down there too, right? The swamps and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so for our listeners, many of you who are familiar with Elisa, she has her own podcast, the Elisa Childers podcast. But for me, it was really the American gospel movie is that what you're most recognized for or what? Uh, these days, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I've uh, been recognized quite a bit through that film. I think that uh, that film's done a, a lot of good and a lot of mm-hmm. people, it's challenged a lot of people in what they thought about what Christianity Man. was. And so uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's been interesting. Mm. For those of you guys who may not be familiar with that film, there's, there's two of those films, American Gospels. They're on Amazon. They are powerful. The first one kind of challenges the Word of Faith movement. And the second one really is about the heart of the gospel, something that even though I came to faith and heard it, it took a few years to really navigate, okay, there are variations of Christianity. And so I want to let you just unpack your story, but I do want to launch in with some exciting news that you have an upcoming book, Another Gospel with a question mark. So let's just start by telling us, why do you write a book, Another Gospel? And um, what's the heart of this? Yeah. Well, you mentioned that I am a singer, and that was what I did for most of mm. my life. I, I never thought I would ever write a book. I never saw myself even as a writer, a, mm. a songwriter, surely, but not uh, ever having an ambition or a goal or even an idea to, to ever write a book. Uh, but the book essentially is the product of a really long journey, a really painful journey, actually, uh, regarding my faith. And so uh, in the book, I tell that story, but at yeah, the same yeah. time, I interact with the ideas of a 
a movement within Christianity that I came across as an adult mm. called progressive Christianity. So I write about that in the book, but mostly the book is my story. It's very much like a memoir, a spiritual memoir, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. And so um, my story essentially is that I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian family like many people. And I'm sure as some who are listening to this podcast now can relate with that type of story mm. Evangelicalism, grew up in Southern California. Uh, the the thing that I think I'm learning as an adult made my story a bit unique is that my parents were really genuine Christians. Amen. I meet so many people that grew up in really weird streams of Christianity or really legalistic mm-hmm. streams of Christianity. And certainly the stream I grew up in had its quirks, but uh, my parents really modeled a genuine faith for me. So they regularly read the Bible with us and prayed with us, but also there was this element of them modeling what it looks like for Christians to be the hands and feet of Jesus mm-hmm. on the earth. And so my mom had us working the soup lines at the Fred Jordan mission in LA. <laughs> I did grew up doing street evangelism with my dad. We would set up with karaoke mm. boxes on street corners in New York and uh, in Hollywood and Amen. LA. Yeah, it was great. So I, I grew up with <laughs> so real I, Christianity in real word Christianity. and in deed. Here's this Gale thinking I'm in a church, a church. They love Jesus. I love Jesus everything's going well. And then. Yeah. And there was, so there was nothing mm. about that, that I wanted to doubt. I, I didn't have a reason to want to doubt my faith. And so I, I, as I've analyzed it, I think maybe that might be why I never really doubted my faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I remember um, one time my dad was a musician also, by the way. So I grew up in a real artistic household. And I just remember asking my dad, Dad, if if we, how do we know God really exists if we can't see Him? Which is and, a fair question. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And my dad just said, "Well, you know, you feel Him," <laughs> and mm. I was like, "Well, I do feel Him." And so that was really <laughs> a good enough answer for me as a kid. And uh, also, just a bit of my dad's backstory, which is relevant here, is that he was a hippie who came to Jesus in the Jesus movement in the late '60s, early '70s, and so wow. he had gone through all kinds of different ways to try to find God through Mm. Eastern mysticism and LSD. I mean, you name it. Mm. And when he heard the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, um, that's when his life just radically changed. And so I had that backdrop that just Mm -hmm. that real authentic faith uh, behind me growing up. And so never really doubted it. And um, went into music myself for a better part of a decade. And it was really when that came to a close that mm-hmm. my faith was challenged intellectually for the first time. I see, I'd never mm-hmm. really encountered in a meaningful way the the intellectual arguments that people bring against Christianity. It was just easy to dismiss them yeah. because I just figured, well, they just don't have the Holy Spirit or they God yeah. hasn't revealed the Bible to them or something. And so <laughs> I mean, it was just it didn't matter what anybody brought against Christianity. It just didn't, it didn't take root in my heart. Yeah. But, um, after I came off the road, uh, no longer touring as a musician, I was married by this point and had a new baby. Uh, my husband and I began attending a church, uh, in middle Tennessee here where we were mm-hmm. living, where we do live. And we loved it because this church was a little bit different in that there were these really intellectual, type Mm -hmm. sermons, which we weren't really used to, but it was kind of exciting and something um, that that we were really attracted to. We loved the people. And so 
it was in the context of going to this church that I was invited to a class that was a bit smaller. Mm-hmm. And it was in this class that really for the first time I heard intellectual arguments against Christianity, um, but they were effective on me this time because they were coming from a pastor. And yeah. this was a pastor that had won my trust and respect over several months. Mm. And so it really shook me. Yeah, because it was the back of your book, even when I was going to read through. And of course, you know, I've been listening to your stuff for a while. I mean, I'm familiar when, especially a lady takes a bold stance, and then you're now taking platforms and going and proclaiming. And, but it literally, the back of your book says this was a progressive pastor who literally yeah. defined himself as a hopeful agnostic. So yeah. the crazy thing for our listeners is coming from England, we're in reverse. You know, we don't believe any of this, and you've got a Beto's in. Where in America, you almost expect everyone believes it. So by the time you get to 16, 17, 18, maybe some of our listeners, you know, I know you were in that band Zoe Gale, right? And Zoe yeah. would make life. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I say that because my wife has a raw foods company called Pure Zoe. So you guys have that little, she doesn't sing, you know, but, but there you yeah. go. But the point is, um, here's this pastor. And the idea to me that you could even say, well, someone's a pastor. They would think they're a pastor yet they would really think they're agnostic. So, so even, even where we're going today, you are this just Gail who loves Jesus, and people haven't got to question their faith. I feel like nowadays someone would. You would say, well, I mean, for me, God became very real in a very tangible way. I think when you talk to Beckett Cook, even the way the Lord grabbed a hold of Beckett yes. was the same way he grabbed a hold of me. And I think even said, sometimes it sounds envious, but you know the Lord's the Lord. You've you felt his presence. He affirms the word when you're going and speaking or doing this. You know this is what he's calling you to. But back to your point, you're now in this church. I mean, it's amazing that you're married. Um, so you're stepping into all the things God has. He's blessing you with children. And now here comes this pastor that you would think is well-intended we can get into if he knows he's deceived or not yet in a sense, but what kind of things is he saying or, or how does he begin to share? Because we can unpack the intelligence part later. This is kind of how a progressive movement gets in there. All the right things, well presented and the intellect, but what kind of things was this pastor even saying that would challenge your faith? Well, it's a really good point you made a minute ago about mm. how when growing up in the States here, at least when, I think it's a little different now, but when I was growing up, you're right. So many, the Judeo-Christian worldview was the dominant worldview. Everybody mm-hmm. just sort of believed, you know, for the most part, to be mm. an atheist or an agnostic was sort of an anomaly. <laughs> that was that was the unusual yeah. thing to be. It um, is funny now you say it. You hear it <laughs> so much now, but back then it was like, what yeah. is an atheist? What is an agnostic? And Why? You must be yeah. really mad at God, but it's so common now. So, yeah, yeah, like atheists, they might there there must be like <laughs> really horrible people, you know. It, yeah. It's just yeah, and so, um, so I think the pastor was in a bit of a process of questioning his own faith, mm-hmm. and so some of the things that he would bring up, um, a lot of it had to do with the reliability of the Bible. So there were a lot of classes and books we read about. Did the people who we think wrote the books of the Bible really write the books of the Bible? Mm-hmm. Um, has it been transmitted accurately? Like, do we actually even have an accurate copy yeah. of what was originally written? Um, what about a lot of time was spent looking at supposed contradictions between the gospel stories and things like that? So there's a lot of emphasis on the Bible, but there was also people in the class who would question the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And there was really nothing that wow. was 
off the table as far as, as what you would believe. There was a lot of discussion over just the nature of humans, a lot of debate mm-hmm. over, are we really sinners? Are we really born with So this more thing? philosophical thought and kind of like um, a melting pot of just, because yeah. I'm guessing a lot of these people were the people that would show up to the potlucks or you would see around town, hey, we'll see you at church. But then they have these two or three triggers that when they're driving away from church that day, they're thinking, well, maybe this, I mean, that's, that's kind of, I get it. If there's people doubting, I have a 19 year old son and he had a season where all the YouTube videos of atheists and that were hitting him. And I was like, yes, son, you have to go through this. The word's got to become real and alive and true, but from a pastor. So, so you start having these questions and how is your husband dealing with this? Are you guys both going through it or what? Well, I was in the class. He, my husband Mm. was in the class. It was a very small class. And interestingly, most of the people in the class, in fact, I think I I could accurately say all of the students in the class were people who didn't come in with the doubts that they left with. So Mm -hmm. um, maybe they had expressed some sort of alternative view to the pastor. So he thought, well, they're, they're going to be open to these new ideas. And so most mm. of the people at least uh, were just run of the mill Christians, I guess you could say yeah. until they got into the class and then just our minds just blown with all of it. They were like, things. what's really going on here? Yeah, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. And so many of them began their own sort of doubt and deconstruction process as mm-hmm. a result of being in the class. In fact, as far as I know, Every person that I was in class with has now, is now for the most part identifying themselves as a progressive Christian. And, and we can get into that in a moment. Well, you get me their emails and we'll email them on this podcast and we can, uh, <laughs> yeah, we can set the, the spiritual yeah. record straight. So, yeah. and yeah, and continue with the journey. So, I mean, I'm excited just to be on with this thought so we could jump so far ahead. But so yeah. here's you and a handful, what, a dozen people or more dozen, yeah. who are going to a church thing to hear from a pastor. And now those seeds are being sown and now they would say they're more progressive. And so how does that unfold in your life? And, and, and why are you not a progressive then? Why? What was the Lord working in you? Yeah. Well, I was really distressed the whole time I was in mm-hmm. class. And so, you know, you asked about my husband, I would come home. I think if I remember correctly, the class mm-hmm. was on Wednesday okay. and I would come home just, you won't believe what they said. They, he said this and <laughs> they were saying this and, and I would praise feel, God. I know I was just so like, and I felt so confused. It's like inside my heart, I knew that what he was saying was wrong, mm-hmm. but I had no idea how mm-hmm. to refute it. I didn't know how to articulate a counter argument. And so I would do my best in class and I, so I'd go home and I'd vent to my husband and then I'd mm-hmm. study all week about how to answer some of the things that were brought up mm-hmm. in the class before. But they, I mean, by the time I went back to the class the next week, they'd moved on to the next, next topic. topic or something. Yeah. What wow. we talked about last week. And so I, I was sort of in fight mode for the whole time I was in the class and mm. the class was supposed to last four years. And he, the pastor had compared it to what you would learn if you would go to seminary. Um, wow. but, uh, so I only lasted about four months because it was just wrecking my faith. And I was mm. uh, just in this constant state of distress, but I was still in that fight or flight mode where I would study and I would try to argue and I would try to uh, just to counter what the pastor was saying, because I also mm. knew that there were a couple of 
really baby Christians in the class, people that had really just put their trust in Jesus as their mm-hmm. savior. And so they were very, I felt like they were very vulnerable. So I felt protective for them. But uh, oh, so over wow. the course of the four months, uh, and essentially the reason we ended up leaving when we did was the pastor invited us to invite our spouses to class. And so my husband came to class with me. And I don't know if it's just that he saw it for himself, but we got in the car and it was just like, he, he looked at me and he said, we're not raising our daughter here. Praise we're God. Done. Yeah. We're Praise done. God. And I felt relieved because <laughs> I was wanting to stay because of the baby Christians. And I, but, but when he said that it was like, okay, all right. But the mm-hmm. thing is though, is once, once we left, uh, then I found myself isolated from church community, from people. Wow. And of course, I have a, a toddler now. And by the time we left, I think I, I was pregnant with my second child, who he's mm-hmm. nine now. But um, he's nine now. You said nine now. Wow! Yeah. Wow! So yeah. A, lot, a bit a bit ago. So yeah. Uh, I and so I, you know, already that's a weird phase of life. I think I was going to say it's a dangerous journey because you're trying to do everything right. You've been singing these songs for years, and you've been helping people. You've been going through the motions. It's almost like you look at sadly. I hope Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and people are listening. But the amount of work they can put in, and I hope at a stage in their life they say, "Is this really the right path?" Because as Christians, we should be able to answer those questions. When my family said, well, Brian, how do you know? I said, take all of your issues and struggles to God's word. He's made the promise it's secure. He's made the promise it's life-giving and it's true. So so here's you, the belly's growing. <laughs> your yeah. husband's like, babe, I mean, at least Adam did his job this time, right? In the garden, he, he bailed, but your husband came in and said, we're done and yes. got rid of that fruit. You were only four months in. So who knows what happened to others who maybe went the other three and a half some yeah. years you're now pregnant. I'm guessing you're reading like crazy. Um, did it get dark though? Did it get to where you were actually mad and frustrated and had to yeah. go to the Lord and you know maybe pull a Job or an Elijah or? Oh yeah. In fact, I so related. Well, I always have loved the and related with the story of Job crawling mm-hmm. up under the broom tree and praying that he mm-hmm. would die. That always brought me yeah. so much comfort because <laughs> I thought, well, it's not just me. It's <laughs> everyone, I think. Yeah. yeah. And so there was a. Um, some of the timelines a bit fuzzy because it was such a difficult time, mm. but there was a period of time where I was just pretty depressed. Yeah. And uh, I think that even after my son was born, there was a bit of postpartum depression contributing to yeah. some of this as well. But essentially all of the doubts that he had planted in this class really took root once we left and I was sort of done fighting. Mm. And then I was just left with nothing but my own thoughts and just a lot of time spent in the rocking chair with my daughters. I Mm. rocked her to sleep and there's a lot of time to think while you're doing that. And um, it was a a really dark time. And I don't know exactly how many months that that period lasted. I do know that, um, you know, I was, I was still doing some ministry in that time. And it, it wasn't fake. I believed it. I was hanging yeah. on my fingernails. I didn't understand what was happening to me yeah. when it was happening. And, um, but, wow. but this, this doubt, I was, I was living almost in this cognitive dissonance of, I believe, and I don't know if I believe at the same exact time. And well, you sound like a truth seeker to me. Like you have this conviction. God's always been speaking. And as soon as it's challenged, you were like, well, 
I'm guessing your husband will be, I, I can't deal with this. I've got to figure this out. That was for me when I was, you know, divorced and suicidal. Praise God for those who don't know God restored our marriage and all the rest and saved us both. But I needed to know that I knew. And that was this journey you're on. And the reason this is important, and I just had this in, in the notion of skateboarding is a huge world. And so you're always hoping people hear and come to faith. And even amid this whole COVID people freaking out with end times and all the rest of it. I have a friend that I've met a couple of times that's good friends with a family and he's been over their house the last few weeks and he's all fired up for his faith. And as I think about him, the conversation on Sunday with, you know, my friend's mother who's now sharing with him is where's he planted? Where's he going? What's he doing? Cause we can celebrate that he's confessed Jesus. We can celebrate the Lord's got a hold of him, but now it's like, where's he going to go? Is he going to walk into a church? And this is, guys, why we have this podcast today, why the Lord did this work. And our sister here, Lisa, is because is that guy going to get planted and discipled? Is he going to get planted and grow? So you are now on this journey. The baby's growing. You're getting frustrated. Did you ever feel like you didn't believe? Or was it just, I need to know it's got to be here? I, I think I came to the edge of unbelief. I can't mm -hmm. say that I ever crossed that border yeah. because I never fully didn't believe. I didn't ever lose my faith completely. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just remember the darkest moment. I was sitting in the rocking chair with my daughter and I would sing hymns and it was like an act of faith to sing the hymns because <laughs> I didn't know if they, if I believed that it was true. Wow. And so I would just sing these hymns into the darkness and, and in the same, in the same way, just begging God, please, mm. you've got to send me a lifeboat because I felt like I'd been thrown into this stormy ocean of doubt. And I was just trying to keep my head above water. And I just, in the metaphor that I saw in my mind, I didn't see a rescue boat or a life jacket or anything. Mm. I just saw myself drowning. And so yeah. I just begged God, like, if you're real, if you are really out there, please, please mm. give me a lifeboat. And so um, <laughs> I don't, again, I'm not sure how much time went by. Um, I, I had this kind of supernatural moment with God that I've, I've never really shared on a podcast or anything before, but I'll share it with you because I think it's significant to the journey that came about after this yeah, moment. Yeah, please. This was after my son was born now. So I had a toddler and a, and a, essentially a newborn. Yeah. And at this time, all of my friends that had been in this class with me were sharing their new progressive Christian blog posts. And I suppose for the listeners to understand, um, mm -hmm. I never heard the phrase progressive Christianity until I went through this class. And then I started to see it everywhere. The church went on to identify itself as a progressive Christian mm -hmm. community. And essentially what, what that means is it's a group of people who still identify themselves as Christian, but essentially they've denied what we would consider to be the core essentials of what defines mm -hmm. Christianity. And but most so, people don't know they believe that. They go into one of these right. churches and they see they're like you and me. They have their Bibles. They don't realize that what maybe isn't being said from the pulpit. And some of the people might not really realize they believe this, but they're right. taking on these truths. So so yeah, back to your point. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So the, like for just example, the beauty of what I think is beautiful mm. about the fact that I know that I'm a sinner and Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin. Amen. That is viewed in the progressive <laughs> world as just a, a horrible idea. Like they they would think that's her. I've even heard the word horrific used to describe. Wow. So that's how different this type of quote unquote Christianity is. And so yeah. um, I'm only making that point 
so that the, the listeners can understand the anguish of my soul. Mm. This is just like, oh, the Baptists disagree with the Presbyterian. Yeah, you speak in tongues or not, whatever. Right, yeah. or, or the age of the earth or something like that. This is like <laughs> core, core essential doctrines of the mm. Christian faith that were being taken away from me. Yeah, And so um, I began to see my friends post all their blog, you know, progressive Christian blog posts and all these new authors and writers that they were finding. And I remember one day just reading this blog post by mm. this woman and just feeling so depressed because again, it's like, I knew she was wrong, mm. but I didn't know how to answer it. I had no idea where to even start with mm. how to answer why I think this is wrong or how to refute what she's saying. And so I was that night, I was in the rocking chair again, I spent a lot of time in that rocking chair. Mm -hmm. And That's what rocking, they're for, rocking away, yeah. <laughs> I was rocking my son this time, and um, I just, you know, I'm not trying to mess with anyone's theology here, but mm -hmm. I just really sensed that, <laughs> that this message in my soul where God was saying, I have something for you. And I didn't know what that was, and, mm -hmm. I, and I was just absolutely... Um, kind of like, okay. <laughs> mm. And, and I just sensed, I, I don't even want to put this in words because, um, I just, what I sensed was that God loved me and mm. he was going to still be my father. And I was still going to be <laughs> his daughter, whether I chose to accept this assignment or not. But the only, just the word that came into my mind was study. And I remember thinking, I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea that that would lead to a blog or a book or a podcast or any of that. I was just a mom with my hands full with babies. I just, and with the power of God inside you. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so I, I thought, well, I can start somewhere with that. And so mm. it was around that time that the Lord answered my prayer to send a lifeboat. And I was, I was in my car and I was listening to the radio, just which I'm not really a radio person typically, mm -hmm. but I just pressed scan. And then I heard this man's voice and he was on a college campus and he was a Christian and he was answering virtually every claim that would mm -hmm. come up in the class I was in. And I was, I was thinking, oh my goodness, who is this person? I have <laughs> to find this person and stalk them. No, but I was. I was yes, like, most of the time when, yeah. <laughs> I was hoping they would say his name. And so at the end of the uh, episode, which was about, it was about an hour, an hour and a half, something mm. like that, they said that was Ravi Zacharias on such and such university. Who else are they going to say it is? Yeah, of I course. Know, well, I, I didn't know who that was at the time. So I went home and I Googled his name and I realized he had an mm. app I could put on my iPhone. So I started to listen to him every day. And it was through his ministry, I found other apologetics ministries, other uh, really sound Bible teachers and theologians. Mm. I just, I began to listen to everything I could get my hands on. And that, that's how I started my study. That led to me auditing <laughs> seminary classes at a, a seminary that I'm still affiliated with. or was just wonderful who really helped <laughs> rebuild my faith. God really mm -hmm. used apologetics to mm -hmm. help rebuild my faith. And if anyone's unfamiliar with what that is, it doesn't mean we're apologizing for our faith. It just no. it's a good reason for mm -hmm. why believe what you do. And so that, that can cross disciplines of science and philosophy. It can, it can enter into the realm mm. of history, historical studies, all kinds of different um, biblical studies. And so yeah. um, I did, I studied and I studied mm. and I studied for years. And it was about five or six years after I had uh, begun to study that I felt settled in my own faith. Like, okay, I I'm it took that long huh, to really well, I, I know, I can't, I can't say it took that long for me to know 
Yes. You had God speak to you. And even when, even when Elisa says, I don't want to mess your theology, she's not saying the Lord showed up and an angel said, does stay at the Lord. (laughs) But here's the thing. We are saying the Holy Spirit's in us and he impresses things on us. Now, when the Lord says study, he already says it in his words, study to show yourself approved. So it's the Lord. And if Satan's telling you that, He's an idiot, which we know he is anyway. Right. So <laughs> you, your, your, your lifeboat, to put it in your terms, is that you feel the Lord has addressed this in you like I felt in a room in our house many years ago, which is mm-hmm. why I stepped out. We're all, we're all called Ephesians 2.10 as his workmanship, something specific. So here's this mom that encounters four, month, four months of chaos. It leads her down this journey. And for those who are listening, apologetics is so powerful, so important, and giving the reason for the hope that we have. Rabbi Zacharias, look him up. I mean, God, what was his book? The Lotus and the Cross, mm-hmm. and so many of his books. He's one of the, my, my go-to guys. Sadly, he just passed away, or we should say he graduated. You know, he's yeah. more alive today. So you're now nerding out on apologetics. Your husband's probably more excited. Um, but as this is going on, let's help people understand this movement is huge, this progressive movement. And so we'll jump into that thought in a sec, but here you are studying and reading five years after what begins to unfold next. Yeah. Well, so I, at at a certain point, I I came to the settled position, like I'm good. Like I don't have to Mm -hmm. study at such a crazy pace anymore. I'm settled that I believe the Bible is the word of God, that it's accurate. It's Mm. been transmitted accurately. It's, it's reliable. It's a story. It's, it's the authoritative word of God for my life. I always believed that, but I didn't know why I believed that. If Mm. somebody would have asked me, why do you think the Bible is the word of God as a teenager? I would have said, well, because it just is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's the Bible. Of course it is. Yeah. And so I didn't, but I couldn't really articulate why I believed that. And so on this journey, I really, I was kind of scared a bit to, to discover what am I going to find out about the Bible? Mm-hmm. And I was just delighted to discover how historically reliable it is, how mm-hmm. uh, that it's been transmitted with just an insane amount of accuracy. And then mm-hmm. if we go to Jesus, what he said about the scriptures and being the word of God. And as a Jesus follower, I want my view of the scripture to be mm-hmm. what Jesus' view is. And so kind of following those rabbit holes a little bit. And so after a few years, I was settled and I, <laughs> I thought, well, okay, I've, I'm, I'm studying. I've done what I believed God was calling me to do. And I was really ready to just set it aside. Um, I think I might've been teaching an apologetics class at church at this point. That's but, kind of significant though. Yeah, <laughs> if you're yeah. willing to go, cause you know, you, you generally find people that are willing to go up there, take the pulpit, whether it's five people or 50 and just do that. And they might not realize yeah. what they're doing. Look, I, I came to America to skateboard. I didn't come to America to be a preacher and yeah. like this, but then, so there's God um, humorously at work in you. And you're saying, okay, Lord, I guess I've taught a couple of classes. Then the launch comes or what? Or he. Yeah. And you're seeing progressive Christianity. I know we're going to jump into it in a sec, but this is just rising and rising and rising. Yes. So yeah. now you're, yeah. Well, well, and we can even, yeah, finish your thought and then we'll jump into this. Yes. Yeah, so, so you're. Well, you're, yeah. So yeah. I, I went to a training. There was a three day apologetics mm-hmm. training type situation from a couple of the the lifeboats that God had sent me of mm-hmm. like Frank Turek and Jay Werner Wallace and Brett Kunkel and Greg Kokel. Mm-hmm. They were doing this training for rising apologists that if if you think you might want to teach a class at church or even all the way to have an online ministry or whatever, just come to this training. Wow. 
And so they train you personally and you have to give a presentation, which I was so nervous. <laughs> and they're all busy, busy men yeah. as well. I mean, I, I've talked are. about getting Jay Warner on and I've been familiar with Greg. And then obviously yeah. you've got the Frank Turegs, Norman Geisler, um, and Alicia's website, Alicia's website, we'll put it at the end, but you've just got a load of very relevant books on one of your pages as yeah. well. So we'll, we'll plug all that, make sure everyone sticks around. So, so you're getting taught face to face with these men that yeah. you've read and listened to. Okay. So God's encouraging you. Yes. And so I thought, <laughs> well, I'll go to this training and just, if God does something great, if not, I'll go back to music or I'll just whatever. Yeah. I, I, I really had an open hand about it. And so at the training, you, you get a couple of different days, you get a personal instructor. So my two personal instructors were Frank Turek and Jay Werner Wallace. And both of them encouraged me to start an online ministry. I, I mm. my kids were pretty young at the time. And so, um, you know, Frank was saying you, you should go and speak. And I said, well, I don't want to travel too much because I've got kids at home. And he's like, and so Frank looked at me and he said, well, then you need to start a blog. So, I mean, I've, I've said this before. If Frank Turek tells you to start a blog, you just, mm-hmm. that's what you do, you start a blog. Yeah. <laughs> so I started <laughs> blogging these like really ordinary apologetics issues. Like is faith blind? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just very, very typical apologetics articles. And I hadn't really publicly interacted with the ideas of progressive Christianity mm. that mostly because I just didn't think I needed to, because a, most of the claims mm. that progressive Christians were making are the exact same claims that atheists make. And those are the ones that the apologists are answering. Yeah. And that's what helped me. So I just was recycling. You got it covered. Yeah. You're so, good. Yeah. Yeah. We're covered. <laughs> and so, um, but then I started to f- try to find, book reviews and answers to some of the blog posts that I saw a lot of my friends sharing that were coming Mm. from progressive Christian sources. And I couldn't find very much. There just wasn't very Mm. much. And so um, after being encouraged by another apologist, I came home and wrote an article from, I came home from an apologetics conference about a few months after I started my blog. And I wrote a post, five signs your church might be heading toward progressive Christianity. And it just exploded. And Mm. I thought, okay, so people are facing this in their churches, Mm -hmm. people that might not know to go to an apologetics blog to get an answer to an atheist's claim, they're facing this stuff in their own churches. And so that was a huge sign to me that I needed Mm -hmm. to to focus in on the, on the movement. So I've pretty much done that ever since. Mm. And here's, here's why this is important for just those listening. What are you guys even talking about? Are you guys kind of being negative? They could think, um, the progressive movement, here's what's sad about it, is I came to a church that was, when I first came to faith, you wouldn't say it was a word of faith church, but it was very influenced by, you know, Kenneth Hagin, Oral Roberts, even yeah. Kenneth Copeland, a lot, a lot of the great revivalists, you know, like Leonard Ravenhill or Toza. But what you found was a lot of what was being taught was what was caught. It was a person's mentality. It was what they were saying. It was repetitive. And so likewise, this progressive movement has also been birthed really from another movement and before we even jump into that i'll just give you an example of how this works is a few months ago and just even seeing a post come up on my feed of someone that i hadn't seen in years wasn't even that close with them but it was this cry for help i've been serving at a place for many years and it's this and it's this and you could tell they were just blaming the church and i kind of knew the battle they were going through and as a pastor, you know, I'm English, I'm very straightforward. I mean, I'm sure you would have loved someone who had been the lifeboat in the middle of that and said, hey, here's what you need to hear. And so I just responded, you know, I don't even talk to them that much, but the ministry we've done, 
amazing musician. They'd come and play with our church. We're part of our church, all these things. I'm not the lead pastor or anything. And I just encouraged them and said, because they pretty much said, I've wasted all my time, all these years serving a group of people. They don't even know my name. And, and they went on and said, you know, as a black person and with this lifestyle and with this choice, meaning like I'm struggling with homosexuality. And I just responded and said, hey, look, Ephesians 2.10, like I just said, you're God's workmanship. You didn't waste a second of any time. You were singing to him and doing this and doing that. I know life is crazy. If you need to go sit with anyone and um, just just confront any issues of that, I'm there. And I just said something as simple as that. And then a minute later, it was like, you're this white pastor and you're this and you're this and you're that. And here you are with your Christianese and you're being too religious. And even people that I'm friends with, and it wasn't like a big deal. It was super mellow. I mean, I was getting ready to go finalize a message and preach the next day, but it was just something practical that you would say, hey, Brian, you're God's workmanship, blah, blah, blah. But the responses were some of these like famous bloggers I didn't know. And it was like, it was like this, do better. It was a statement like, as a pastor, do. So I'm already feeling the weight of like, oh, this is a thing. And then it was like, being religious or Christianese. And here's the danger. All the things those people are saying are allowing her to stay the center of it all and say as a struggling black, possibly, you know, queer, whatever, whatever. When what a pastor needs to do is sit down and go, look, it's all about God. Let's understand sin. And so I had pastors who messaged me who used to be part of that church who said, Brian, don't even go there. This is a bunch of progressives. And so it really hit me in a sense of this to help people understand where Elisa's even took us down the road and where you're going to go. The past 20 years became a bunch of young, relevant, intelligent. And I think you'd even said about blogs back in the day, some mm-hmm. good looking girl that was charismatic and says all the right things, does all the right things. And she's on the stage. Of course, this is going to work, but they would start these sermons. Like this isn't your grandparents church. We're not going to have Christianese in here and we're not going to have that much Bible. And so we have these 20 to 30 minute sermons that are short and relevant. They're funny. It's almost like sound bites. People can't sit and hear the word of God anymore. And as soon as someone comes in, like one of these apologists you mentioned, or if you put on like a John MacArthur or a John Piper, they wouldn't know what to do with it. And the problem is in the midst of this, I went from this kind of word of faith church to a few other churches I was friends with, but I noticed the language was very emotional it was very about just loving any way that anyone is. It was just very throw everything up in the air. And as long as we're loving and we're good and we're blah, 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 we're good. So there was never a consistency. There was never a truth. There was all these new definitions. So I'm saying that for you to take, where did this whole movement begin? Because it kind of began with the emergent church, the Bryant McLarens, the Rob Bells. Um, just, just give us some insight into that, that movement of that generation. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm glad you you brought up that story because the the point I try to make is, you know, a lot of people think, well, if you're speaking out against progressive Christianity, like you said, mm-hmm. mean or you're judgmental or you're this or that. And all I'm asking for mm-hmm. is for people to have intellectual honesty. If you don't think Christianity is true, then yeah. drop the title Christian, but don't try to redefine it and make it into something else. I think it's disrespectful to do that. Yeah. And and so um I have much a, a ton of respect for somebody who says, hey, I don't think the resurrection of Jesus happened. I don't think Christianity is true. I'm not going to call myself a Christian anymore. Much respect. Yeah. That's being they really think that. Yeah. Yeah. But if you say, I don't think the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still call myself a Christian and call mm-hmm. you judgmental for, you know, I think, I think that's 
I think it's disrespectful to what Christianity is, what it's always been. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so the, yeah, so the, the movement started, well, you can actually trace the roots of it all the way back to the 1800s and the yeah. um, guys like Frederick Schleiermacher, the German theologians that began to question things like the, the resurrection, the reliability of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And um, the, you know, the, the evangelical church essentially isolated ourselves off from that, but those ideas still proliferated through the mainline denominations. Mm-hmm. And then we saw those go into decline. But then, then you have this bubbling up in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s of what was called the emergent church movement yeah. uh, with guys like uh, Rob Bell and Doug Padgett and uh, Brian McLaren. In fact, in my class, I was in Brian mm-hmm. McLaren's book uh, was the first book we were supposed to read as a class. Mm-hmm. And so all of these uh, ideas that really <laughs> kind of started to be birthed in through the German theologians in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. early 1900s, um, we're getting a fresh voice, but in the evangelical church this time. So where those might have been isolated off to the mainline Protestant denomination. They were celebrated, right? They were just yeah. glorified. And I'll yeah. tell you, just, just I'll say it as bold. I remember just driving. And, and listen, I came to faith after the NUMA videos. So for those who don't yeah. know, a guy like Rob Bell comes out. And he's got all this great teaching and he, you know, really? even his teachings on Rabbi Jesus and what it meant and to be a disciple. But he would get on the stage and he would kind of condescendingly mock traditional Christianity where I would almost feel sick. Like you're attacking all these pastors and you're almost changing the perspective on revelation. And, and for those saying, well, Brian, have you read all that stuff? Yeah, I have. And so what would happen is there's me and Elisa going to school and someone's giving us a book and we're reading Rob Bell's new book or our church movement's super focused on this emergent idea because it's growing and everyone's very intelligent, well-dressed and put together. And who cares? You know, the apostle Paul went in places probably with yellow teeth, broken down face. I'm sure he smelled funny all the travel. He was a man of God, not because of him, because of the spirit of God. But what happened is 10, 20 years ago, these books began to infiltrate. So you are shooting your staff meeting from something you read in a book. Here's a great quote. And these people that actually maybe didn't even know the Lord, some of them, who's to judge that? But a lot of people went into seminary to avoid the draft. A lot of Mm -hmm. people became pastors because they met a girl in the family who wanted a pastor as a husband. He just fell into it. So you're Mm -hmm. seeing this kind of come to a head. And this is true. This isn't just Brian. I'm saying these stories because the stories you haven't heard from my own life, but you're like, Brian, that's the progressive movement. So now you end up with these leaders, Rob Bell's friends with Oprah, all these people. I mean, great, reach them. But there's this underlying mocking of scripture and its authority Mm -hmm. I'm listening to a guy right now that I wouldn't even tell you the name, but I'm 150 episodes into his podcast. He's very progressive. He's, he's, he's spoke about all these names and he will go so deep to prove to you the Jewishness of the scripture. But mm-hmm. the second you go against certain relevant topics, he won't even go there and, and he'll almost mock the church and mock what the gospel is. And it's so dangerous because if I was 1920, like my friend I just mentioned, and I was listening to this, my version of Christianity is without honesty from that, those preachers being shaped. So to mm-hmm. you, this whole emergent things happen and all these people are becoming leaders and you're seeing some of these books in these classes. Yeah. How has this now grown? Did, did that move go away? Because I remember when John Piper tweeted, you know, yeah. Rob Bell, that kind of shook it all up. So, but people yeah. with Numa, his video series, they loved the Velvet Elvis book of his. And he mm-hmm. became like a, a motivational speaker that kind of just attacked the church. And here's mm-hmm. the thing, you would get done with these sermons 
And it wouldn't be this call to like tarry on through the persecution you may face. It wouldn't be go share with your neighbor. When I went to some of these other churches, I never actually heard the gospel. I never heard sin, repentance. Brian would have been there divorced and suicidal, leaving, going, well, that was philosophical. You know what I mean? So anyway, this is all happening. You're kind of coming through this on the tail end of that. Where does this emerging church then go? Is that yeah. what progressive Christianity has become? Or I, I do believe it has. And so you made a great, a great point when it, it did kind of go away for a while. So mm-hmm. Rob Bell, he came out with the NUMA videos, brilliant brilliant communicator yeah and those video i remember watching those videos and being gifted really speaker yeah moved by them and so i think that at that time most of the church was just assuming that we were all operating from the same uh fundamentals so to speak mm-hmm. or the same core beliefs yeah and so when something would kind of be a little outside the box everybody was like well that's refreshing because it's outside the box but i don't think that many christians <laughs> assumed that the entire foundation had shifted and so when rob bell came out with his book love wins in which he essentially through asking a lot of questions suggested that the historic view of uh, yeah. you know eternal separation from god in a place called hell that that you know may not be actually the real story um that mm. caused john piper to famously tweet farewell rob bell <laughs> and so these evangelical gatekeepers um sort of put the guardrails up and said no we're not going to let this in so it did mm. kind of go away but because of the internet and because of the ability to really congregate with yeah. every kind of ideological um conviction a person of any ideological conviction on the internet in internet chat rooms and social media and mm-hmm. a member blog forums and all those kinds of things uh, all these people mm-hmm. that that were sort of like-minded found each other online. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in a blog post in 2012, Brian McLaren wrote that the emergent movement is not dead. Uh, yes, it was pushed underground, but we're all still here. We all still believe this, but we just call ourselves something else now. So he, now this was 2012. So it's almost, you know, 10 years ago or, you know, still relevant now. enough though, yeah. because time moves fast. It feels like, yeah. yeah, but he had just even eight years ago suggested we might be calling ourselves progressive Christianity now. Well, eight years later, that is what it's called now. So essentially the emergent church did mm. get pushed out a little bit, but then they sort of they, they proliferated online, bubbled up on a grassroots level in all these evangelical churches. And now I, I don't think mm. it's an exaggeration to say that the average Christian, when they're going to the average church, they're going to get a lot of this progressive theology. Mm. And like you said, they may not even know it. And it's and the thing that's so tricky about it is it sounds loving because yeah. they're not confronting sin. They're not preaching repentance. It sounds like, wow, this is really loving. We're not telling yeah they're wrong or we're not telling them they're sinners. And um, but the problem with that is it's, it's if you compare it to a disease, if I have a disease mm-hmm. and let's say I have cancer and I go to the hospital and they say, well, we're not going to tell you that you have cancer because chemotherapy yeah. is kind of unpleasant. We're, we love you. Yeah. We don't want to ruin your day. Here's a, here's a bed and a blanket and we're going to hug Well, you're still going <laughs> to die because they're not giving you the cure. And the gospel yeah the cure. And that's why we think Jesus dying on the cross to cleanse us from our sins, to reconcile us to God is so Mm -hmm. beautiful. Um, But but yeah, so there's this just really great divide between progressive Christians and what I would call historic Christians, because historically Mm -hmm. that is what Christians have believed, that our sin separates us from God and that Jesus' atoning work on the cross 
brought about that reconciliation, that cleansing. And so when you remove that from the gospel, you lose the heart of Mm -hmm. what it means to be saved, what it means to be a Jesus follower and a Christian. And so that's why I'm so passionate to talk about that Mm -hmm. issue. It's mainly for those people in the pews who they're kind of scratching their heads going, this sounds really nice and loving and it's not confrontive and he's going to be mad at me for believing this. Um, yeah. But really they're being given a false gospel. Yeah. And it, it needs to be said because I didn't come to faith because everyone was just loving and kind. That's a part of it. But if I love everyone, if I love a murderer into my home when he says, I want to kill you and do this and do that, I can love him in. And when he goes and does that, that's my fault. And the danger of this is, and you said, even the gospel as we find it in first Corinthians 15, it's very clear. Paul preached Christ and Christ crucified I'm an evangelist by definition. I mean, I guess it's more like a John the Baptist because when I came to faith at 24, I was like, why didn't anyone? And I was kind of in the Southern California Bible Belt right here. I was like, why didn't anyone sit me down, address my sin, address my issue? And we can even talk about this whole new idea, you know, of Paul. Yes, Jesus was bringing a kingdom to the Jews. It was about a kingdom, but there was always hidden the Messiah. And just because Israel viewed the Messiah as a political leader, yes, the son of David, all the rest of it, doesn't mean he isn't exactly who he is. And when Jesus says things like, go and sin no more, that's the issue. The danger for some of our listeners is, listen, um, Elisa and I are going to probably write blogs and podcasts and do stuff. And is that the most significant thing? No, it is if it's about the gospel. But the danger for many theologians today, and I said this to my friend who's a theologian, why do people write all these controversial books? And he goes, well, they're theologians. What else are they going to do? Mm-hmm. So when you have an empty right or someone put forth some ideas that he's just thinking, someone can take that and run with it. And that becomes then more their doctrine than the actual word of God. And you've got to think a rabbi called Jesus came and called his 12. He had his three. They followed him, getting covered in the dust of the rabbi. He showed them the ins and outs. And then he called them. And what did he do? As I see the Father do and I do, and in the same way he sent me, I now send you. This is a pyramid where the Lord just began to send and we go out and we go out. And if I can change that gospel, if I can make them confess Christianity but never proclaim the truth. Mm. I had Josh White on a few months ago, you know, a, a, a pastor up at a church there in Portland. He's like, Brian, around here, it's all like that. Everyone's so eager just to get along and be friends and have you come into community. But is there a preaching of the gospel? The gospel is what saved me. It's what reunited our marriage. It's what blessed us with two more children. And it's the power. So I'm saying this to say, I know all this is going on. You've written this book on this. And in your book, um, Another Gospel? Question mark. Are you unpacking progressive Christianity and, and pointing out from an apologetics point of view the truths of the word in opposition of it? Or... Yeah. Yeah. So the book (laughs) I mentioned earlier is very much a memoir, a spiritual memoir. Hmm. But throughout my goal in writing the book was to take the reader along my journey and address each question I had as it came up. And so Mm -hmm. I'm walking the reader through the answers I discovered as well. So throughout the book, there are chapters on uh, how I, well, part of my journey, the, the biggest part of my journey mm-hmm. was to discover what the real thing is. So I wanted to know if I, if I was going to disbelieve Christianity, I wanted to make sure that I was actually rejecting the real thing and not just maybe some mm-hmm. caricature that 
I might have grown up with because that's what a lot of my friends were doing as they grew up in, like I mentioned, legalistic churches or even abusive situations. Mm-hmm. And they were rejecting that, but they threw the gospel out with them. That's a good point. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure, okay, if I think Christianity is not true, I want to make sure that, that what I'm identifying it as to begin with is what it actually is. And that's going to be defined by Jesus and the apostles mm-hmm. and then tracing that through church history. And so uh, I, in the book, I outline ancient heresies, even the <laughs> first heresy to bubble up in the church, the circumcision party, and, mm-hmm. and show how that even parallels the progressive Christians of today. And the earliest Christians had to refute false mm. doctrine from the start. Yeah, first John is all about it. Yeah. Yes. And Gnosticism started to bubble up, I mm. think, even by the time the New Testament was being written. So yeah. The whole book of Jude is dedicated to refuting false teaching. And so I think... <laughs> Jude's fiery, yeah. <laughs> it's so fiery. And so when we as Christians try to adopt the world's definition of love, meaning love means that I just affirm whatever you want to do or whatever you want to believe, yes. well, that is not historically what Christianity has been. In fact, mm-hmm. if you define love biblically, love rejoices in the truth. It can't rejoice in wrongdoing. So mm-hmm. love's going to tell the truth. And so all throughout history, you have Christians having to face and refute these false teachings. And so uh, if you want to call yourself a Christian, you're going to have to guard your doctrine. That's what the Bible tells us to do, guard Mm -hmm. your doctrine closely. So it's not just these these boxes we check to say, okay, I believe that, and I believe that, I believe that, check, 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 I'm a Christian. These are beliefs that the earliest Christians lived and died Mm -hmm. for because they're beautiful truths about reality. They tell the truth about who God is and how he works in the world and how you can be in relationship with him forever. This is life and death stuff, not just doctrines that we check boxes off. And so my my book is a journey of everything from what is historic Christianity to is the Bible reliable and all the answers that I discovered along the way. You know, I'm just going to throw out funny stuff because I think people here in this need to catch this. You know, when I preach sermons, I know I think the prior sermon I put up was me preaching the other week. There's so much scripture because I don't want to go anywhere else and I can't go anywhere else. You know, so if I come and speak, say, to a school for a few weeks or, you know, I'm going to bring in a lot of stories, relate to them, whatever, because they're kids. But I'm going to make sure the foundation is truth. The foundation is the way, the things that got me through those stories. I went to a camp probably last summer and it was, and this will make the point, I was going to this camp to go speak for a week and they'd had a higher um, age group of kids that were going to be ministered to. But then the camp got switched with a lower age group. And they and the leader just said, Brian, I know you teach pretty serious. I just want you to go ahead and we want to see how this works out. This is five days of, you know, really sharing to nine to 10 year olds what you'd be sharing to say wow. 14, 15 year olds. So it was going deep. And to me, I'm just, that's my, that's my zone. But the point that I'm making was some of those leaders, I could tell were progressive and they were wrestling with, man, this is so deep. I think this is going over their heads. It's so much scripture. And I would hear them sharing it after the sessions because I, I set it up five days where there's, you know, eight or so messages. By the end of the week, the amount of parents who messaged me or for weeks later that said, and I'm not saying because of me, and I'm not saying everything. Some of them might have not liked it, but I'm saying the amount of parents that said, my kid came home a refreshed, renewed, quoting more scripture. I'm only saying that to say, you look at someone like John MacArthur, you know, and it's like people looking like, oh, he's this old guy who just reads the Bible. I can go to sleep tonight with that sermon on. I know I'm getting fed. 
I don't need someone to romance me with their charisma. I would never look at someone and say they're gifted because, I mean, Joel Osteen is a great speaker. Does that mean everyone should tune in and listen to Joel? You know what I mean? That's not my point at all. But I'm saying the word of God is what speaks. So I know I don't want to take up all your time, but so for someone going to a church, because a lot of progressives don't hold the authority of scripture, because it's about simple, and listen, Elisa isn't saying hate on people, be negative to people, be rude. No, this is love. This is go to battle. What would you say then a good church needs to have going? Like for my friend to go get implanted in a church, they need to know what the gospel is. And yes, we accept that Jesus brought a kingdom, but there is a living, talking, living out the gospel. What few things would you look for in a church that's going to honor God and help people be discipled? Yeah, that's a great question. And interesting that you brought up John MacArthur because mm-hmm. I, I've listened to just tons of his sermons. And you can't tell if the sermon is from 1975 <laughs> or 2011. You can't tell. He's been he, great for a while. Yeah, no. <laughs> preaches the Bible though. And it's time. Yeah. And that's, you know, and again, I don't agree with him on every single. Yeah, of course. A lot of people don't. Theology, but I mean, that's why it's so relevant because the Bible is always relevant. Mm-hmm. And so I would, you know, the thing I tell people is look for a church that is, that preaches the gospel yeah. every Sunday, every Sunday, the gospel should be preached mm-hmm. no matter what text is being preached from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing is look for a church that, I mean, I, this seems so silly that you even have to say this, but a church that preaches the Bible, that teaches yeah. the Bible, um, preferably a church that teaches through books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to find that these days. There's a lot of uh, yeah. churches that are doing topical sermons, and not that there's anything wrong with doing topical sermons, but just make sure that they're teaching the Bible. And, and they can teach the Bible. They yeah. do know what it says, yeah. That's right. And not just like, here's what I think about something, and I'm going to find like six Bible verses from random places in the Bible to make my point. That's not teaching the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's teaching what you believe using proof text. So look for someone who's, <laughs> who's teaching through a passage of Scripture at least. Mm. Um, or if they do a topical sermon, that they're taking a good section of scripture to teach yeah. it and not just pulling verses from all over because you can take things out of con you can make the bible say whatever you want to make it say if you're pulling stuff from all That's over satan's whole job yeah yeah and, and i would also look look at the music is the music communicating biblical truths or is it mm. really are you singing about how you feel all the time yeah and again i'm a musician so i have so much grace for worship leaders i know how hard it is to make everybody happy and all this so you know i always tell worship <laughs> leaders if you're going to sing a couple songs that are real met like metaphors and very kind of vague sing a couple of not vague ones sing a couple hymns to go with that so nobody's wondering what the church believes about who god is because essentially when we sing we should be singing about god and Mm. worshiping who he is and um so i would look (laughs) for that i would danger signs to look for i would i would any pastor that says well i disagree with paul on such and such an issue any any pastor that says he disagrees with a biblical writer that's a danger sign yeah. uh, a danger sign would be when personal feelings and conscience is placed over biblical truth mm-hmm. um you know i could never believe in a god who anything you could He's put in jealous in yeah that's yeah, a lot of people's issue never, yeah, I, or I could never believe in a God who could send people to hell or something like this. When in Any mm. language like that is a sign that you're actually making God in your own image because if you would or wouldn't do mm. it, then you're actually God in your own yeah. mind. <laughs> and, you know, God's not going to agree with you on everything all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, those, those are just a couple of, of warning signs. And um, But, yeah, it just all comes down to Scripture, doesn't it? It's just if a church is submitted to 
this, the word of God or not. And that's really what you want to look for. Yeah. And for people who are just, just listening and again, saying, Brian, why are you guys drilling this point home? Let's just be realistic. Since COVID, since this happened, here's why this is so timely, especially with the newsletter I send out and people that are going to be tuning in. I have had many, many, many good friends who love their church and community say, Brian, since this happened, we were shamed into reading these books. Our speaker came and they only talked about this. It was about racial justice. It was about police brutality. It was about, it was all about justice. And those things are, are worth honoring. I mean, God doesn't see color the way we do. Racism is the stupidest thing ever. You know, God's not behind that. Christianity shouldn't be behind that. But the danger was, like you started off saying, you came home and you could feel it in you. I have had moms who are 50 or 60 saying, Brian, for the past three weeks, our church hasn't opened the word of God. And I'm thinking like, Mm. how does that even happen? And so what you're doing is you're not feeding the sheep. And there's a local church here and the pastor is very well known. And he actually has a blog. And on his blog, he said, I'm birthing a church that's a church not for Christians. And the influences he has in this world and these people, it's almost like beyond progressive. Wow. Um, and a thought that's crazy. And, and I'm just throwing some stuff out there. I've been talking to someone who was part of a, a big radio show. I won't say their name. And they had gone into the Coachella, the whole you know, music and the partying and that, and they'd infiltrated it. And on one of the episodes they'd sent me, they said, look, we have gone in there and got to know all these people while everyone's off doing drugs and orgies and all the craziness, you know what I mean? Things that shouldn't be spoken about. We are now friends with this deep group of people. And he says in one of the meetings they had just a few years ago with all these very influential musicians and artists, their conversation was how they are infiltrating the evangelical church and how they're bringing this new kind of spirituality in. And whether you want to say, well, Bethel's gone overboard with all the healing and all the rest and you know this new apostolic whether you want to say it's the progressive i want to sit in the historic view of the bible to where the apostles creed and the rest of it and for our listeners for the mom who's sitting there like elisa was pregnant saying what is going on get into the word get into a church even elisa saying i don't agree with everything with john MacArthur. You're not going to agree with everyone about everything. You know what I mean? I love John MacArthur. You know what I mean? But there's certain things he's going to say. might not believe this, the gifts are for the day or his stance mm. on women. I get it. That's any pastor. But the Bible needs to be the foundation. So for someone like Elisa with her blogs and her book and the rest, get into it. So any other thoughts as well just while we're speaking? I know we've gone about yeah. an hour or so. So I want to honor yeah. your life. Yeah. A couple of thoughts just to close out here. Um, yeah. We're going to disagree with certain things, even, mm -hmm. even you and I probably, if we talk yeah. long enough, find a few things we disagree about. <laughs> but I think the main point that we're trying to make is that John MacArthur, you, me, no yeah. matter where we might land on some of these more secondary issues, we agree on the gospel. Yeah. We agree on what the gospel is. We agree with historic Christians on what the gospel is. Mm -hmm. And the reason that this is so important, the reason I, I understand even to modern ears how this might sound mm -hmm. like, what a big deal. I mean, just let people live their lives and you don't have to worry so much. But here's just the way I would frame it. If Christianity is true, if the gospel is real, and there really is going to be an eternal separation from God for those who fail to put their trust in him, for those who don't love him in his presence. And to love him, you have to know him. And if that's real, if that's really a future reality, it would be so unloving of us not to fight for the truth of that 
for you to get to know the truth of that. It would be the most unloving thing I can think of to just say, oh, it's fine. You can believe what you want to. It doesn't matter. That, that's only true if Christianity is actually not true. Then it doesn't, if, if Christianity is not true, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we might as well all just do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. But if that's a reality, it's like Penn Jillette, the atheist, <laughs> made a video several years ago saying, I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, it's like if you're a Christian and you believe this is true, how much do you have to hate me to not tell me the mm-hmm. truth? And so I hope that might even bring some fresh perspective to people who might be listening, going, gosh, it just sounds like you're, you're, you know, so down on this thing. Well, we're down on it because we actually think it's stealing something from. We're dividing from it. It's dangerous. Yeah. It, it's it's heretical. I mean, because here's the reality, as Elisa's saying here, is the only reason we're even doing this podcast is because apparently, I mean, this is the first time we've met. We've talked an email, but we both believe that the gospel needs to go forth. And you're living in a whale, John three eighteen. It's already condemned. My dad, my mom, my kids, me. We're all dead in sin. We don't know Jesus. Something has to be breathed into that, some life. It comes because Jesus, who is the fullness of God, manifest in the flesh, walked the earth, lived, died, resurrected. And some of you say, why is the cross so relevant? It proves factually he got out of the ground. Mm -hmm. Over 20,000 documents attesting to this. Flavius Josephus, all these theologians, we could get into this, the history. God has been speaking to the world for centuries, millennia. He's even doing it today through a man and a woman who are just simply made in his image. But that's the greatest of glory to receive from him. Mm -hmm. And so what we all need to be hearing is that Paul said, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. He could have said, I preach the Old Testament, and he does. But his focus is, it's on Jesus. The Bible is God's love letter to a whale dead in sin. And when you hear that from a pulpit, when you hear that on a podcast, it means if you're driving in your car right now, sadly, if you've been molested, if your life's great and you've got millions of dollars and Elon Musk, how you doing, brother? You need Jesus. You're going to drop dead one day, not of old age because we're cursed. You're going to stand before God and you're either guilty or innocent. And we're only innocent because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As he's lifted up, he draws us all unto himself. So we're simply here today saying, pastors and churches, please as well, check what you're bringing in. Feed those sheep. Not about filling the seats. It's about feeding the sheep. Speak life to them. Challenge them. If I ever fall into a hole, Elisa, hit me up. Brian, what are you doing? How did you get there? We need that accountability. That's what a shepherd does for us. So it's about the gospel and all the rest of it. So thanks for sharing all this. Anything else that's going on? Where, where can we get your book, first of all? Uh, well, amen to everything you said. That was <laughs> Anything you want to add? Yeah. No, I'm not going to add to that. That was perfect. Um, so you can connect with me online at alisachilders.com. And I'm at Elisa Childers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can pre-order the book now on Amazon, Another Gospel, A Lifelong, uh, a lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity is the subtitle. And you can, uh, you can pre-order that today on Amazon. And guys, we don't write these things for the sake of money and finances and all the rest of it. I put a marriage book out because... I couldn't stop having conversations with people about marriage because we went through it. You know, you married, divorced, and remarried. Now it's 21 years. I guess I have a PhD in how not to have a marriage and how God (laughs) called us to have one. And even as you're talking about the book, I want to get it, leave it beside my wife's bed and just be like, babe, tear that thing to bits because God will use all that you're hearing that day. So in all of this and just in closing, guys, we're not here to attack the church. It's not the goal, but you have to 
bringing up John MacArthur, someone sat with him and said, man, you're so divisive. And he goes, right. I am dividing from what is false. There's pastors who might not realize how progressive they're being. They're, they're, there's a love for the sheep. But guys, get back into the way. We've got to stop using these terms like Christianese. What would the Apostle Paul do if he came back, be relevant and significant and cool? He'd preach what he preached. That's still loving. But for you, could you just pray us out and whatever the Lord puts on your heart for just, you know, people who are maybe hurt or just people who don't even, never even thought about this topic or mm-hmm. whatever. Thank you. Well, Father, thank you for my brother, Brian, and his work and, and your word being spoken through him. And we are so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful mm-hmm. for the gospel. We're thankful for Jesus. And Lord, I pray for everybody who's listening, especially those who have had bad church experiences, maybe those who have been through spiritual abuse, Mm -hmm. who have been through um, other kinds of abuse, even within a church context. I pray for those who grew up in false versions of Christianity, uh, people who grew up in extreme legalism or didn't have the true gospel ever really preached to them where they didn't understand the beauty of your great rescue plan for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would soften every heart and that you would speak and that you would draw them to yourself in the name of Jesus. That, Lord, sometimes I just think it's only going to be beautiful to people who understand that they're sinners. And I pray that you would reveal to every person who's listening that they are a sinner. I just know how desperately I need your salvation. I know how desperately I need the cross. And I pray that you would uh, reveal that to people who are listening and that they would, they would run hard after you, after who you really are, because we're not attacking anything. We're protecting something mm. very, very beautiful. And I pray that you would reveal the beauty of that to every listener today. In the, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And listeners, just... just- just get this. We have been entrusted with the greatest message ever. And often when I sit with a couple or someone struggling, I say, how would you live if Christ was returning in seven days? I know we're not going into an end time sermon, but at some point he'll be returning or we'll be going to be with him. And we've been entrusted with this amazing message. And you might not know all that Elisa knows as she goes on the stage or the platform and shares, or you might not have read as much as I may have and it's come out of me, or you may have. But wherever you are, just like the demonized guy who all he knew that Jesus showed up and liberated him, you can begin to share your story, no matter how big or small it seemed, if it's about Christ, it's the greatest story ever. And the Bible is the story of marriage, where a king comes to slay a serpent to redeem his bride, to bring it into the the marriage chamber one day, we'll all be with the Lord. So guys, uh, Alisa, thank you so much for tuning in. Go check out her podcast, get her books. I see the work she's doing, a lot of relevant. I haven't even listened to them all yet. I've got a load on my TV to go through. And thank you for your time today. And guys, can I just tell you all the heart of this message? In 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Get to know Jesus. Thank you for sharing all this. Thank you for those who even partner with me catch up with me online please inbox elisa she loves to hear from you i'm sure so god bless you all thanks again elisa amen my pleasure thanks so much for